I can still see you. Bubs, go. Hey, Abby, leave your brother alone. Um, let's uh, let's uh, pray in preparation for the preaching of the word this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with me this morning. Um, I just I got so many thoughts and and um, ideas and and uh, just so many words running through my my brain this morning. Lord God, that uh, it's just easy to lose sight of, of the, the message. Um, it's easy to lose sight of the gospel. Uh, Lord God, as I, as I um, try to explain the text today, as I bring out your word, Lord, I pray that the folks who are here would come to know you better and hear you, um, hear from you, not from me, but from you. Lord God, I pray that you would um, just touch their hearts and help folks to know you intimately through the preaching of the word this morning. And in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh, so, uh, how many folks are, um, really anxious for the sermon to start so you can catch up on the sleep you lost? Uh, <laughs> oh, gotta, gotta love that. I, um, this morning, uh, my wife and I were, uh, up late for some reason. Uh, and actually it was, it was a shock. I knew it was daylight savings time, but I didn't think about it. Until um, I was laying in bed, and my wife said, "Oh my gosh, it's seven. And I, I get up at—I mean, four is usually my my late get up. Like I want to be out of bed by four, and so seven is crazy. So I overslept anyway, and then daylight savings time cheated me. And and as we were, as I was drinking my coffee this morning and and uh, trying to get myself geared up, my wife was reading the news, and she said, "Did you know?" that uh, daylight savings time, um, like during this coming week, there's more heart attacks and more strokes and more illness and more this and more that. And I actually did know that because I know everything. Um, and in reality, actually, and this is a thing I, I, I've read about several times over the last few years, and I, I thought I'd share with you. Um, originally, daylight savings time was kicked off during World War One, right? Um, I've decided to do the whole sermon about why this is the horrible thing, <laughs> unless it's fall um (laughs) but but it was originally kicked off during world war one and the idea was like uh that and and it predates that a little bit but one of the big ideas behind the the american adoption was to preserve coal and um oil for the war effort and so they figured if they shifted the schedule and the calendar so folks were awake um only when the sun was out you wouldn't need lights as much and so you would save money now, that was 100 and, uh, 120 years ago, 110 um, years ago, uh, right about the time that Craig was getting out of college. Um, <laughs> and, and it made sense then because, because, you know, sitting up at night, you did have to burn oil. But now electricity is so cheap in comparison that when you really figure out how much money is saved in lighting by daylight savings time versus how much money is lost in like the expense related to heart attacks and strokes and people getting sick and missing work or just skipping work because their sleep is off or whatever, like the total expense to the economy for daylight savings time is enormous. Um, it actually costs a huge amount of money for you to be missing sleep today. Um, and, and the trick is that it was intended to save money. 
But this idea that was probably clever at the time, though I'm sure everybody hated it then too, um, except for dads who wanted to turn the lights off in the house earlier, um, the idea was good, but they lost sight of the idea because this is what we've always done. And you become locked into the day-to-day, this is what we need to do right now, this is what we need to do right now, and you can easily lose the plot. You can easily lose the point. And as we dive into Timothy here, um, I want to emphasize this heavily. There's a lot of stuff in Timothy that can be taken out of context, right, and looked at on its own, and its meaning is slightly different or significantly different than when it's in context. You all with me? Um, it's easy to miss the point and lose the plot and, and like lose sight of the purpose, just like daylight savings time, right? And turn it into something that isn't, that instead of being a builder of the body and a builder of the church, it can become a detractor or a distraction. And so we're going to be doing um, the first seven verses of chapter two. And before we get into that, real, real quick, um, the opening chapter, we, we finished up the opening chapter last week, and the opening chapter is a standalone unit. Um, it is uh, what's called a, an inclusio, meaning that it's sort of a literary unit where the beginning and the end parallel and the stuff in the middle, and it's sort of like, like a high school essay, right? Tell them what you're going to tell them, then you tell them what you're telling them, and then you tell them what you told them, right? And that first section is, this is the big idea, and the big idea is the gospel. The big idea is Christ came and died for sinners, Um, of whom I am the worst, uh, is what Paul says. The opening chapter is all about that. And Paul reminds Timothy, and I know it's like, oh my gosh, he's reviewing it again. But it's important, and you'll see when we get into um, chapter 2 as to why. Um, Paul begins by telling Timothy, this is the point, and your calling, your job, is to remember the gospel and to do the work given to you in terms of spreading the gospel and raising the church up to spread the gospel. This is the point. And if you lose sight of that point, um, Timothy can easily become a collection of laws and a collection of weights and a collection of distractions and confusing points. Um, and so the focus of our, of our um, approach to this, like as we read this, um, Paul is going to give us a collection of ideas that relate to the focus of spreading the gospel, that relate to focusing on the gospel. And if we lose that, we lose something fundamental in the book. Are you all with me? Is everybody still awake despite losing your hour of sleep? Um, So as we get into it, real quick, again, this is from chapter 1, and this is sort of the phrase from chapter 1, the sentence. The aim of our charge is love. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. And I know I've read this verse 10 million times, but this is the anchor. And if we lose this, we lose the point, right? Um, And so a sincere faith is like proper understanding of who God is that's genuine and true, which produces a good conscience and knowledge that I'm washed by the blood of Christ who died for my sins, and that creates in me a pure heart that's like focused on Christ alone, not on my own gain, not on my own selfishness, but on glorifying God and spreading the gospel, um, and that creates love. And that love 
um, should be the outward like expression of that sincere faith. It's one produces the next, produces the next, produces the next. Um, I, I know a bunch of y'all right now are in the process of gearing up to roll like machinery out, right? And the point of your job is not to do the machinery. The point of your job is not to spread fertilizer. That's my job. The point of your job is not to plant seeds. The point of your job is not to spray weeds. The point of your job is to pull kernels of grain out of the ground or um, lentils or chickpeas or peas or uh, mustard or whatever else it is that you're pulling out of the ground. The job is not fixing tractors. The job is harvesting grain. And in the same way, the church, our job is spreading the gospel and bringing people to Christ to glorify God through his show of mercy on people. That is our job. That is our charge, is to love and share. Um, skipping that one, maybe. There we go. Um, so we get to chapter 2, and we're going to dive into this. So Paul, having completed this first unit, he says, first of all, then. Now, that's important, because whenever you see a first of all, then, or this is the ESV, the NIV says, therefore, or there's all kinds of other ways, but it is all different variations of because all this stuff is true, because the gospel is our central focus, because your job is to spread the gospel, because like this is what you're here to do, I urge you, or I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Now, a lot is sometimes made of the order of these words and the specific choice or whatever. Um, supplications is where you pray for another person. Anybody familiar with this? Like acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. I'm 40-something. I've got several master's degrees, and that's still how I pray. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Supplication is saying... God, please meet these needs. Prayers refers to talking to God. Intercessions is praying on someone else's behalf. And thanksgiving is saying thank you to God. Be made for all people. So Paul begins by saying, listen, because our job is love, because our job is spreading the gospel, because our job is telling people about Christ, because this is our job, first of all, pray. Now, I can't emphasize the importance of this enough. Um, and here is what I'm going to parallel. And I think we can lose sight of how powerful and important prayer is. I say this as a guy who gets paid to pray, and sometimes it's hard to find time to pray. The average prayer time for a minister between Monday and Saturday in America is three minutes. You know why? Because we answer phone calls. Because we do research. Because we do visits. Because we have to run to the hospital. Because we've got to make sure that we're ordering coffee, which Terry does, and I really appreciate. Because we have to do all of the 10 million other little things that are involved, and all of those 10 million other little things that are involved can easily just become more important than praying, right? Um, and I think at the core of it is we just don't recognize the importance and the power of prayer as like, like – it's the breathing part of our arsenal. Breathing is something that's easy to forget about until you can't do it. Or until you really need to do it, right? Um, prayer is something that we forget about until 
the wheels fall off the car, you're going 90. I had that happen to me once. I actually didn't think about praying at the time. I was going 80, and the front wheel popped off and shot through the fender and went off into a field, and I was sliding on ice. And I think I may have said the Lord's name. Um, but <laughs> Yes. Um, my wife and I were arguing at the time, and it's amazing how quickly that ended the argument. Um, I've owned a lot of bad cars. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> so, but, but prayer is this most important thing. And like, oftentimes we only remember to prayer when somebody has cancer or when somebody is sick or when it hasn't rained in three months and you really, really need it to rain or when, you know, when everything is desperate, then we pray. Um, and oftentimes we pray like in ways that don't involve God doing things, but involve us getting what we want. Um, we have to take prayer seriously. And that's why Paul begins here. Pray. First of all, then I urge you to pray and to pray in every way you can conceivably think of and do it a lot. Um, I really like uh, Francis Chan. Uh, I don't always agree with him, but I really like him. And I, I read a book he wrote recently about the church and he, uh, he talked about being a pastor in a mega church. And the first thing he did when he started is he gathered up all of the leaders. He said, all right, guys, um, I need you to pray for an hour a day for this church. And if you're too busy to do that, I need you to let me know so I can find somebody who will actually have time to do it. Because your job is to pray. Um, one of my favorite types of video on YouTube or on Facebook You'll see these videos of guys who handle pistols very nonchalantly with bad... You know what trigger discipline is? It's where you put your finger. Um, It's this, not this. And you'll see these guys, like, videotaping themselves, talking and swinging their gun around, and they'll, like, blast a hole in the wall because they're not taking their handgun seriously enough. Um, And whenever I... I was actually with a bunch of pastors once, and one guy was talking about some gun that he bought, and he pulls it out of his thing finger on the trigger, and he starts talking to us, waving it around. And like, that's the other thing. I was always taught, for no reason do you point a gun at someone for any reason other than to shoot them. And he's talking to us, and he's motioning with it. And after about three seconds, I was like, hey, can I see that? Let me hold that. And the first thing I did is I popped out the magazine, and I, well, that was a really nice gun, you know? Let me throw that magazine back in your briefcase, and we'll talk about it. Because he wasn't taking it seriously. It is a powerful, powerful thing that he gotten way too comfortable with. That's prayer. We don't pray because we don't believe it's powerful. We don't pray because we don't know how important it is. This is what we're supposed to do. Be made for all people. Now, all people is one of several instances in this text where we're going to see all or some variation of it used. Um, There's this phrase that I have seen over and over again in researching this text. This is the universal text, meaning this is the text that Paul is writing to Timothy saying, Everyone, everywhere, everyone, everywhere. It is all over the place. Don't lose sight of it. Your job is to spread the gospel to all people. It is to save all people. It is to do this work, all people. And so we're supposed to pray for all people. Now watch this. For kings 
and all who are in high positions. We hit pause there. Kings in the plural here, this is a text that has been argued about at length, in the plural, kings almost certainly in the Greek refers to everyone in authority. Now, this would have been written probably in the early 60s when Nero was emperor of Rome. Nero was the king of kings. Nero burned most of the city of Rome down to make his palace bigger. Thousands of people were killed when, as it turned out, the people didn't like that very much. And I don't know why. Um, He said the Christians did it. And he initiated one of the greatest, most bloody and brutal persecutions of the church that has ever happened. Paul's head was cut off in that persecution. Peter was crucified in that crucifixion, or in that crucifixion, in that persecution. Um, Nero, it was said, lit bonfires with the bodies of Christians so that he could have dinners at night outside. Pray for Nero. Nero became emperor after a fellow named Caligula. Anybody know who Caligula is? Do not watch any movies labeled Caligula on any streaming service. Don't. Um, because Caligula was emperor of Rome, and he was, he was insane. I mean, like, he was straight up insane. He named his horse to be a senator. Um, Caligula married his sister and then butchered her publicly. Caligula marched an army to the shore to invade England had them collect seashells and then march them home, claiming that he had conquered England. He was insane. I'm saying this, like, this is pretty crazy, right? Like, if you feel bad about American politics, you should read Saturus' Life of the Caesars. Because, man, those guys are all awful. We got nothing on them. I mean, they were really bad. Reread this right. Be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions. So now the guy who's setting our brothers and sisters on fire so he can eat outside at night, pray for him. Who's feeling it? Let's transfer that to modern day. Oh, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. For Hillary Clinton... For Trump, for Chuck Schumer, for Mitch McConnell, for I can keep going, right? I I went both back and forth there. So sure enough, I found somebody you're supposed to hate, right? Like our team doesn't like that guy. And did you know that so and so is the Antichrist? Man, I cannot believe I've heard that on the news recently. But I'm pretty sure if the news tells me someone's the Antichrist, it's a pretty good bet. Uh, Whatever. Um, Paul is saying, pray for all people for kings. We're to pray for folks. Paul's commanding his people to pray for the guy who's going to cut off his head eventually. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So now Paul says, pray for all people, and he says, pray for kings, right, and those in high position. There are two reasons for this. Um, He touches on one here, and I'm going to explain the other. One, the one he doesn't explain here is that these kings will stand before God one day and their people. 
right? They are people. Um, There's this great moment in the book of Acts where Paul is on trial at Caesarea by the sea, and he begins to preach the gospel to the local governor. And the governor stops him and says, do you think you're going to turn me into a Christian just like you? And you can almost hear Paul saying, that's the goal. (laughs) And instead they sent Paul to Rome in chains to be put on trial, right? But Paul used his opportunity. He stood before a man who the Jews would consider wicked, who by all standards probably was kind of wicked. And what did he do? He said, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me start in the Old Testament and tell you about the Christ who came to die for your sins. Because Paul didn't care about his politics. Paul didn't care about the fact that the guy held his life in his hands. Paul didn't care about any of that. What did he care about? He cared about the gospel. Why did Paul pray for all people? Because the gospel needs to be spread. Well, this guy probably, you know, was really brutal to the Jewish people. He's probably really, you know, an evil man. He was associating with the enemy, all this other stuff. Christ died for him. Christ died for every wicked politician. Christ died for Christ died for abortion doctors. Christ died for perverts and wicked people. Christ died for you. And our job is to spread the gospel to those folks. Our job is to share Christ with those folks. Paul begins by saying, this is your job. And then he transitions to pray, pray for all people, pray for leaders, pray for rulers, pray for the people you're supposed to dislike because, and he doesn't say it explicitly here, I'm telling you, this is a part of what Paul would have done because everything Paul did was about sharing the gospel. And he is going to touch on it again in a second, so I'm not jumping over. The other half of it is so you can live a peaceful and quiet life, not so you can gain power, not so you can be in charge, not so the good guys will win, but so that you can live a peaceful and quiet life. Knowing, Paul, the reason that he wants you to have a peaceful and quiet life is so you can share the gospel. Because the more folks out there get in the way of us spreading the gospel, the harder it is to spread the gospel, and there are people who need to hear the gospel. It will always come back to that opening thing. And that's why Paul began with, therefore, or, you know, so we know, because this is true, so we know that, or whatever, is because it is all about sharing the gospel. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit will be on our side, that the Holy Spirit will work in our words, that the Holy Spirit will give us wisdom and discernment and give us, like, knowledge beyond what we actually have and be in our words, that they'd be powerful, the whole nine yards. And then we pray for kings so that kings would come to know Christ and so they don't get in the way of preaching the gospel. So we can live in a godly and dignified in every way. Um, the ki- oh, uh, let's skip over that. I actually deleted that originally. Well, no, that's worth it. Um, this is from Proverbs. This would have been written by uh, probably Solomon, um, but it is worth noting. Uh, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Um, because in reality, people don't end up in charge by accident. God is in control. And God, what is it? I, I heard a... a Seminary professor, actually, one of my seminary professors said, um, God blesses and punishes people by the leaders he lets them choose. You know, and oftentimes we, we pick wicked leaders because we need some lessons. We need hardship. It's miserable. Um, God allows people to have power, and he turns their hearts wherever he wishes. Um, 
And we pray for God to touch the hearts of leaders and to direct their hearts in proper ways because we need that to happen, like, because it's good for us, because we need to spread the gospel. We don't need anything in the way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. I'm going to read that last part again because this is basically Paul saying, listen, we need, we need peace. We need the, these kings to come to know Christ because... God desires all people to be saved and to come to know the truth. Um, I was reading this morning uh, excerpts from uh, The Way to Glory, and I'm going to do a thing I don't do often. I'm going to read from somebody else's work because I think it's worth hearing. This is C.S. Lewis. He wrote The Weight of Glory. Um, I cannot recommend it more highly. It's one of my favorite books of all time. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play but our merriment must be of a kind, of that kind, and it is, in fact, the merriest kind which exists between people who have, from the outset, taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. What he's saying here is he's saying, listen, the things that we get focused on, nations, politics, the arts, this particular like aspect of our, our culture or whatever, all of this stuff is going to pass away and be gone forever. The, the thing that is immoral, immortal, immortal, is the guy sitting next to you. There's a guy whose name you can barely say without spitting on the ground because you can't stand him. That guy's immortal the stupid guy you avoid because you don't want to hear him talk because he makes you want to shoot yourself. You know that guy. A lot of y'all, it's me. But like, you know who I'm talking about. The guy who betrayed you, who stepped on your feet, who lied about you, who judges you every time you come near him. The guy who does immoral things with our country and our national politics. Or the gal who does immoral things with our politics and our national... The, the guy who's running the evil corporation and the guy who's all of them, they are immortal. And they will one day in the, be immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. They'll stand before God glorifying him because Christ's blood cleansed them and they were forgiven or they'll be judged. And actually, elsewhere in the book he says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which... If you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one, to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with, awe, with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Why am I reading this? 
Because Paul starts out this section. He says, pray, pray, pray. Why do we pray? Um, one of the main reasons we pray is because we're seeking God to be on our side, seeking God to act. But another part of the reason we pray is because it changes us. I've discovered the more I pray for somebody else, the more I watch them and hope that God acts on their behalf. The more I look for somebody to be healed, the more I look for God to touch their hearts and make them new. The more I love people, like I swear to you, when I pray for my, my wife and kids fervently on a daily basis, I serve them better. And I treat them better and I love them better because it's really difficult to talk smack to someone and then turn around and say, Lord, I want you to bless this person and draw them into your presence so they could be a, you know, someone who brings glory to your holy name. It is really hard to do both, right? It's hard to stand before God and say, bless my wife when I said something nasty to her this morning because I was in a crabby mood because daylight savings time. It's all daylight savings time's fault. Um, but these people are all eternal. The things we get sidetracked about, the people we call, you know, nasty, mean names. Oh, they're Nazis. Oh, they're communists. Oh, they're this. Oh, they're that. And we trash talk them because, like, of the temporary garbage that we live in, like, like it doesn't matter. The thing that matters is the soul of the other guy. They need to know Christ. They do. That is our job, and we need to pray at it daily. And we pray at it daily so we don't forget, so we stay focused, so we drive at the point. I, uh, one of the things I do on a regular basis, I have a list of things that are the most important thing in my life. They're the non-negotiable, unalterable terms, right? And every few weeks, I make it a point to sit down and look at my non-negotiable, unalterable terms, and I read them over and over again. So I remember, this is what matters. It's not getting a nice new car, right? It's not being the thinnest, most handsome pastor in town, though. I just said that to see who's awake. I'm sorry. That was totally to see who's sleeping. It really was. I know nobody slept last night. It was really just, it was a, it was a, it was a measure. Um, and because I know it makes my wife smile. It's not that. So we pray to draw our hearts so we focus on this stuff. We remind ourselves, like my non-negotiable terms, we remind ourselves this is what matters. This is what I'm driving at. Don't get lost. Don't get distracted. Don't be like, I love my little girl, but sometimes you'll say, honey, can you go do this? And she'll leave for 10 minutes and come back with something unrelated. And I was like, well, but did you feed the dog? What? <laughs> did, did you feed the dog? No, but I found my lost toy seal. But did you feed the dog? <laughs> no, she got distracted because she's my child. We can get distracted and wander off into something that has nothing to do with the truth. And so when you meet somebody and you look at them and you say, oh, my gosh, how can you be so deceived? It doesn't matter if they're like... Being good or being bad, the question is, do they know Christ? You look at a king and you say, oh my gosh, this king, this ruler, this senator, this congressman, this governor, this city hall official, this water, um, well, whatever. Um, this, this official is doing such awful things. And the question is, would it be okay if they were doing the right things but still going to hell? Like Christ is our goal. We need to share Christ, not just point people toward moral behavior, not just point people toward behaving, but share Christ. Share Christ above all. I give up everything to save. I say, I wish I lived that way more. And perhaps if I pray enough, I'll come to that. 
But God desires that all people be saved and come to knowledge of the truth. And our job is to make that happen. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus, or Christ Jesus, who gave himself up as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given, to, given at the proper time. Um, Paul comes back to this. Why does he come back to it? Because it's the most important thing. Right? He's not just saying, hey, make sure you pray in your church service. Because if you take this out of context, it looks like pray for leaders. Pray in church, right? But if you put it in the context, if you leave it where it belongs, it is our job is to share the gospel. Our job is to spread the gospel. Our job is to be a voice of God to the nations. Pray for those folks because they need to know Christ. And then he comes back and says, because there's only one way. And the dullest, most uninteresting person you talk to will stand one day in glory Or be a horror worse than your worst nightmares. And you will help make that happen. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying. A teacher to the Gentiles in the faith and truth. Which Paul says, listen, he closes it up. This is what I'm here to do. I'm here to share the gospel. This is what you're here to do. I really wish that sign was in the front of the building because I'm the only one who sees it every week. And I appreciate that it's there because it reminds me. Our purpose is to offer hope through faith in Jesus Christ and prayerfully provide an environment of home where one can be helped and encouraged to grow in faith, love, and service to others. Our commission is found in Matthew 28, 18-20, where Jesus said, "Go, therefore go and make disciples. That begins with prayer. It begins with praying every day for a heart that desires that more than you desire to breathe. That desires that more than you desire to see how the next season of your TV show ends. A heart that desires that more than you desire to fit into the outfit you used to wear before you had kids. Or before you got married, because men get fat when we get married. Pray, pray, pray. Focus, drive at our, at our cause, drive at our job, get it done. I'm going to close in prayer. And I, my challenge to you this week is how much time do you spend praying for people who are awful? How much time do you spend praying for the guy that we keep seeing on political ads that you just wish would shut up? How much time do you spend praying for that obnoxious neighbor with so many signs in his yard? I don't have any signs in my yard, so. The lost, the broken, the hopeless, the homeless, the meth addict, the drunk, the whore, the whatever. How much time do you spend praying for them? Because Christ bled for them. Pray to change your heart. Pray to change their hearts. Let's close in prayer. Father God, I pray above all else that you would touch our hearts and challenge us, call us, make us new. And where our hearts are hard-hearted, when there are those that, that we hate and that we, that we judge and we look down on and we, we sometimes even hope for God's, for your, your wrath on them, Lord, I pray that we would be not like the, the unforgiving servant, but that we would be like Christ desiring for the salvation of all, willing to sacrifice for the salvation of all. Help us to share Jesus with the people who who need him more than anything else. 
And most of all, Lord, as we do that, I pray that you would change us to be like you. Help us to be help us to be creatures who reflect the glory that is in Christ Jesus to a lost and dying world. Help us to forget about the mortal nonsense and focus on the most precious thing that we encounter on a daily basis in the lives of the people around us. Help us take them seriously as eternal beings. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Board meeting in 15 minutes, if possible.